Well, welcome back to another study in the book of Psalms. This is our, would be our Wednesday evening Bible study and uh, prayerfully as the Lord uh, continues to lead God and, and things in the world uh, change with COVID, uh, prayerfully we'll be back to actually meeting here at the church on Sunday evenings and Wednesday nights for our Bible study. But in the meantime, it's good to have you uh, virtually via the video and the internet. And uh, we're going to be today for just a few minutes in Psalm 119 and verse 169 is where we'll begin. So take your copy of God's Word and be turning there. I uh, want to just talk for a few minutes uh, today about uh, David asking God to teach him. Now, we've seen this before. Uh, David asked God a lot to teach him his Word. Uh, one of the things I've noticed or learned over time through life is that it's impossible uh, to teach someone who doesn't want to be taught. And I can just imagine anybody who's watching this video and you're a school teacher, you're saying amen right now. No matter how skilled or experienced or adept a teacher is at teaching, unless a person is willing to be taught, uh, you can't teach them. That's the old proverbial, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. It's that whole paradigm. Um, learning... Uh, is a conscious decision. Learning takes conscious effort. Um, any of us who have certainly gone through grade school and high school, and if you've gone to college, it takes effort. In other words, you just don't, uh, you just don't show up and, and knowledge just automatically jumps in your head. You have to study and you have to put forth effort. Uh, the same is true spiritually. Um, the Holy Spirit is the, is the greatest teacher of all. No one can teach like the Holy Spirit can. And if you're saved, for those of us who are saved, He lives in us. And so the Holy Spirit continually instructs us. He continually guides us and, and, and leads us in our thinking, leads us in our, in our actions and our desires. And all of that is molded uh, through God's Word. Uh, in other words, as we study God's Word and as we learn, uh, it is the Word of God that that the Holy Spirit uses to, uh, to teach us. And again, he's the best teacher. Well, David prays here in this passage. He's praying for God to teach him. He asks God, uh, teach me. Teach me your word. And let's look at what he says here. Look at Psalm 119, uh, verses 169 and 170. David begins by saying, let my cry come before you. In other words, my prayer, Lord, let it come before you. Let it, let it enter in that you hear it. He says, give me understanding according to your word. Give me learning. Give me teaching. Help me to understand. He said, let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Now, the first thing David said there is, let my, let my cry come before you, meaning let my, my prayer come before you. Now, what David is uh, clearly insinuating there is that inherently he's unworthy to come before God. Inherently, uh, his his petitions, his prayers are disqualified because of who he is as a sinner. Um, David was just like us. He's like every human being. He has a sin nature. And so David understood his unworthiness to make these requests to God, yet he made them because he was a saved man. Yet he made them because he knew being saved, God would hear him. Now the key element here uh, that we need to understand, and this is important, the key element here is humility. Uh, David asked, let my cry come before you. He made a, a humble petition. Humility is important uh, because that's how we must approach God. Now, David understood 
in no pretense that he was a sinner. He understood that he had failures in his life. In fact, David's sin in the Old Testament was even more obvious to them, held up for them to see because of the Judaic system, the, the, the system of worship. Think about it. When, a, when a, a penitent sinner wanted to approach God under the Old Testament, uh, under Judaism before Jesus came, they had to bring a sacrifice. They had to bring an animal. So you would take a sheep or a goat and there or a ram and the animal would die and they would shed the blood of that animal and the animal would be placed on the altar and burnt and the blood would be presented before God. That animal died because of sin. It was an, it was a, a, an atonement, a covering, if you will. It couldn't remove sin. The blood of animals, the writer to the Hebrews said, can't remove sin. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. However, in the Old Testament, that blood covered the sin in anticipation of the coming of Christ. And so David fully understood that he had to approach God as a beggar. He had to approach God as one who had no merit. Uh, and that's how we approach God, even today. Now, some will say, well, you know, I'm, I'm saved and that makes me a child of the King. Yes, it does. I'm saved and now I'm a child of God. He's my heavenly father. Yes, he is. And because of that, we have the right to enter into the throne room of heaven. But that is exactly the key. We don't have the right to be a child of God. We don't have the right to be a, a son of the king. We don't have a right to be, to be in the family of God by any merit of our own. It's all grace. In other words, we don't have a right inherently in ourselves just to burst into the throne room of heaven and, and make our petitions known, not because of us, but because of Jesus. We have access to say like David, Lord, let my petitions come before you because we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who represents us to the Father. We have a right to say, Lord, let my request be made known to you. Let it, let, it, let it come before you. And God, hear my prayer. We have that right in Jesus Christ, not in any merit of our own. In fact, Jeremiah reminds us in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Think about that. Our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Listen, it is, it is Jesus who makes us right before the Father. It is Jesus who is our advocate. And we're reminded today that the, the, the element of humility uh, is critical as we approach God. We don't, we, we don't approach God, even, even when the Bible says come boldly before the throne of God, it doesn't mean come arrogantly. Do you understand that? It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean in boldness. That boldness that we might come before God is found in Jesus. I am bold, which means I am confident when I pray because I'm in Jesus Christ. So I have all the boldness in the world because I have all the confidence in the world. But I don't have arrogance. And we don't come before God as Him owing us something. One of the things I've noticed about society today is this entitlement. Uh, everybody's entitled. Everybody's got their rights. Every, you know, I, I deserve and I'm entitled. You hear it so much that it's like, it's, it's like uh, overbearing. Well, we certainly can't do that with God. We can't come to God and say, well, I'm entitled or you owe me or I deserve. No, what, what we deserve is judgment. What, what we're entitled to is hell. Okay, it is grace that God saved us, no merit of our own. And so we don't come to God with arrogance. We come with boldness in Jesus Christ. We come with that boldness really is confidence in Jesus Christ. So we still come to God with humility. We still come to God as David did, understanding that my heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And if it wasn't for God giving me a new heart to be able to understand him, 
I would be hopelessly lost. I have no hope. And so we don't we don't come to God with any expectation that we deserve something. We come humbly, as David did, asking for God uh, to teach us and to give us those things we need. Why? Based on the fact that He's a loving Heavenly Father. Based on the fact that He has loved us and that He has saved us and that He has promised us these things. All, all the petitions we make of God in prayer are based on His promises from His Word. David wanted God to teach him. Now let me just make application very quickly to salvation. When we come to God to be saved, if you're watching this video and you've never been saved, or you know someone that needs to be saved, which everybody knows somebody who needs to be saved, the lost man or woman must come to God with a humble and contrite heart. And what that means is we must come before God with a complete understanding that we don't deserve to be saved. We must come to God with a complete understanding that we are sinners in the nth degree and that justice demands that our sin be judged. We come humbly with a repentant heart, asking for God's forgiveness with a real desire. The repentant part is a real desire to not follow sin anymore, but to follow God. It has been my observation in the years that I've been a pastor that people will make professions. They will make professions of asking God to forgive them. And sometimes I've seen people do it with no intention of turning away from their sin. That's not salvation. That's a religious profession. Maybe they connect to the church for a while uh, and they hang around for a while and then they disappear. I've led people to pray before. I've led them to pray and say, God, forgive my sin and save me. All the while, it became evident that they never really wanted to be saved in a way that would turn loose of their sin and they held on to their sin. Now, only God knows if they're saved. I don't know if they're saved. But most of them leave the church. Most of them don't stay. And John said they left us and went out from us because they were not one of us. So you decide for yourself. But the fact is, to be saved, we must come humbly. I was reminded of, a, of an old hymn, and if you've been around church long, you know it. Matter of fact, Billy Graham used it all the time, just as I am, uh, a hymn of invitation, if you will. Listen to the lyrics. If you, if you don't know this song, it has several stanzas, but listen, the writer understood what it means to come to God humbly. Listen to what he says. Just as I am without one plea, meaning I don't, I don't come with any anything of my own, any merit, but that your blood was shed for me, and that the, that you bid me come. In other words, the writer said, I come without any plea. I come without any boasting of my own, only that you drew me and your blood was shed for me. Then the next stanza says, just as I am, though tossed about with many conflicts and many doubts, fighting and fears within and without, I come that way. He says, Lamb, I, Lamb of God, I come. And then in another stanza, he says, just as I am and waiting not, to rid my soul of one dark blot. What he means is I'm not going to wait to come to you to try to clean myself up. He said, I come just as I am to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot. In other words, you're the only one who can fix me, not myself. And then the last stanza I wrote down, just as I am poor, wretched, blind sight, riches, healing of the mind, all that I need, I come to you just as I am. Listen, if you want to be saved today, you have to come to God just like you are just as you are. You can't clean yourself up. You can't you can't fix anything. But you must come humbly. You must come with a contrite heart, meaning a humbled heart before God, confessing that He's God, confessing that Jesus is Lord, 
and believing that Jesus died on the cross to save your soul, that he paid for your sin. And then if you have that attitude before God uh, with a repentant heart, really sorry for your sin, God will forgive you. He'll, he'll forgive you. He promised he would. Just ask him and he'll forgive you and he'll wash away your sin and he'll save your soul. Now, David goes on to say, Lord, teach me. He said, hear my prayer, hear my petition, humbly requesting it. And then he said at the end of verse 169, give me understanding according to your word. Give me understanding. In other words, teach me. Help me to understand your word. Now, what is it David wanted to understand there? He's come, made his humble petition. I, I wrote down, I think, three or four things that David wanted to understand and that we need to understand. Listen, uh, number one, I think he wanted to know right from wrong. He said, boy, I, that seems kind of simple. No, it's really important. <clears throat> In the world today, there's a, uh, there's a lack of knowing right from wrong. In the world today, there's a void of knowing right from wrong because people reject truth. What David was asking God is, Lord, um, give me understanding so that I know the difference between right and wrong. Particularly important for David because he was the king. David had to adjudicate cases. In other words, when there was uh, when there were disagreements in the kingdom, uh, kind of like going up to the Supreme Court, there were there were counselors and people who worked in David's administration who would handle matters of a state. But sometimes cases were taken all the way to David because he was the final word. And so David simply said to God, "Lord, uh, teach me, give me understanding, because." I need to know what's right and what's wrong. I need to know what's acceptable and what's not, not acceptable so that he can make good choices, not only as a king, but in his personal life. Listen, today, uh, if you want to make good choices in life, ask God to teach you his word. If you want to know right from wrong, if you want to know righteousness and sinfulness, uh, holiness and, and unholiness, if you want to know what pleases God and what displeases God, read the Bible. There is absolute truth. The world will tell you there's not absolute truth. The world is in chaos because it rejects absolute truth. I mean, just look at society today. There's, there's, there's just chaos because there's no clearly defined right and wrong. And everybody does what's right in their own heart, which leads to chaos and confusion. So David said, Lord, teach me so that I know right and wrong. Secondly, I think David was asking for understanding to not only know right from wrong, but to know himself, to understand his own condition. Now think about it for a minute. Think of our sinful condition, our, our helpless condition, our hopeless condition. And, and David knew that he was saved, but he, want, but he wanted to understand so he didn't forget where it came from and, and, and what God had done for him. Um, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. So David said, Lord, Help me to understand so that I know who I am. Listen, it's important because of the next thing. When we understand who we are and our depravity and our sin, and then we understand who God is, it gives us a right view of life, which is the third thing. He said, God, I want to know who you are. It is through God's word that we know him. God was manifest in Jesus Christ because Jesus is God. In other words, God was manifest to man in Jesus Christ. John 1, 1 and 2 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, Jesus Christ is the living Word of which the written Word is all about, revealing Him to us. So when we ask God to teach us, uh, give us understanding, it's found in His Word. And the only way to really know God more intimately 
to know more about God is to know him in his word. And that's what David desired. Uh, David wanted to know God. He wanted to know him more. And so David asked for God to teach him. And then finally, I think David wanted to know more about God. In other words, God instruct me and teach me so that he would know better how to teach others, uh, better how to share with others. An interesting thing as Christians, the more we know about God's word, the more we want to tell other people about God. The more we know about God's word, the more we want to talk about God. I've noticed that um, the thing that the things that people have a passion about, they talk about a lot. Um, if people have a favorite football team, it's interesting. I mean, think about this for a minute. I've met people in church that are like this. They have a favorite football team, and they, and they have almost the whole roster memorized. They know who the quarterback is. They know who the wide receivers are. They know who the defensive backs are. They know who the linemen are. Who who knows an offensive lineman's name? I don't even who knows that. Uh, they know the stats. Hey. This guy threw for 2,000 yards last year and 21 touchdowns. They know stuff. They know stuff about it. Why? Because they have a passion for that, and 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 it's interesting to them. And then not only do they know the stuff, but if you stand around them, they'll tell you all about it. I mean, they'll just tell you whether you whether you care anything about football or not. I know people that are like that way about baseball. I know there are people there are people that way about cars. They'll come up to you and start saying, "Hey, did you know this model car?" and in 1972 had this this cubic inch motor in it and this kind of rear end transaxle in it had no idea but they know stuff about it and when they know stuff about it because it's it's interesting to them and they have a passion about it they tell everybody who will stand still why is christianity any different it shouldn't be any different we we should have a passion for god and as we study god's word and as we learn it and we ask god god teach me help me instruct me then we should we should want to know God's word so we can help others so that we can tell them why why are we so delinquent and and if we get in a, in a group and have a conversation with somebody that talk to them about Jesus we would talk to them about cars about football about baseball and about any other thing that 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 we're that we're enthusiastic about but we want to talk about God I'm gonna tell you two reasons why I don't think Christians talk about about God to other people they're afraid somebody's gonna ask them something they don't know. Now listen, let me tell you two solutions to that. You ready? Now listen, if you don't get nothing else out of this today, here's something you need to understand. If you talk to somebody about Jesus and you're afraid they're going to ask you something that you don't know, the first answer to that is stay on topic. Now here's what I mean by that. If a person starts trying to ask you, you know, is God so big he can make a rock that he can't live? Something, something crazy like that. Don't, try, don't get into discussion about that stuff because that's foolishness. Tell them, hey, we'll come back to that in a minute, but I want to talk to you about Jesus, and I want to talk to you about sin, and I want to talk to you about being saved and how wonderful it is to be saved. Stay on topic. Listen, you don't have to be a biblical theologian. You don't have to have degrees in the Bible to tell people about Jesus Christ and how they can be saved. Don't get drawn off in those conversations about theological debates, about what you know this and that and the other thing. Don't get into that. Talk about Jesus. And if they don't want to talk about Jesus, then you just keep talking about Jesus. And secondly, study. If you're afraid somebody's going to ask you something you don't know, then learn the Bible. Read it. Get some commentaries. I don't understand this. Well, I do understand it, but it, and, and it's unfortunate and it's sad. God's people, God's people, saved people, Christians, should study the Bible. You should watch videos like this so that you learn the Bible. You should read commentaries and read behind studied men and women who, who have studied the Bible. Read behind them. Read the Bible. 
so that you are equipped or a verse. Be a workman that's worthy, not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. We should all do that, not just our Awana kids, but every Christian should do that. Now, finally, David expected a response. Look at verse 171. He said, my lips shall utter praise for you teach me your statutes. David had, had every expectation that God was going to hear his prayer and teach him. Um, reminds me of a couple of things. Number one, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much according to James 5.16. What does it mean to have an effectual fervent prayer life? Well, David approached God humbly. And effectual means effective. It means it brings about some result. Fervent means he don't give up. He keeps praying. It's, it, he's praying according to God's will. and He's praying with confidence, not arrogance. He's approached the throne of God's grace because he's saved. And he has an expectation that God's going to answer him. Now, he doesn't presume upon God. He doesn't presume to be able to tell God what to do. And we're guilty of that sometimes. We pray and we tell God what we want him to do when we want him to do it. We can't presume that. But David prays with an expectation. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The key being a righteous man. We're not living in sin. We really want to obey God. And we're asking him for something in accord with his word. We have every expectation God's going to answer it. Answer it in his time. Answer it in his way. But he's going to answer it. Okay? So David prays with, with expectation. Why, why do we not pray that way today? Man, when I pray, I know God hears me. And when I pray, I pray with an expectation that God's going to work in the matters that I pray over in His way. But I have every confidence that He will. Why? We should pray with expectation. Why do, why do, why do Christians not pray today? I don't know. Maybe worldliness, maybe carnality, maybe sin. But one of our problems today, the reason we don't see answers to prayer is we don't ask. James also said you have not because you ask not. There are a lot of Christians who don't pray. They don't pray. They don't have a prayer time during the day. They set aside to pray to God. They don't pray during the day. Man, there's a lot of times I pray when I'm driving down the road in my car. And I don't close my eyes, but you can pray with your eyes open. Some of you, that's a revelation. You say, well, I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, you can, you can pray. You don't have to close your eyes. But listen, just pray. Spend some time in prayer. There are Christians who, who, who won't pray. And then I think there are a lot of Christians today who pray amiss. James said we, we, we don't pray or we pray amiss. What does it mean to pray amiss? Well, the pray amiss means that we pray selfishly, that we pray fleshly, or we pray for things to consume upon ourselves. Oh, God, give me a new car. And we pray that simply because we want a new car. This is an example, not because we need transportation. The car we have works just fine. And the car we have is in good shape, but we just want a new one. Or we lust after a new house, or we lust after something else. Sometimes we pray just to consume things on ourselves. Nothing wrong with praying and asking God for what you need, but sometimes we pray just because we're selfish and we pray just because we're worldly. We pray because we're fleshly. And then, and then finally, David said, Lord, I pray with an expectation that you're going to answer. And, and, and he said, now I'm going to praise you. Well, this is an important point. Listen to this and we'll finish. Praise today is often connected to music. And it, and it should be, because in the Bible, music and praise went together. People singing and praising God. But I think, I think sometimes today we're guilty of so connecting praise with, with a setting or an environment, meaning we're going to praise God, so let's show up at church and praise God. Let's show up at church, and then we'll have some songs and some music and a praise team and a choir or a band. And, man, we're going to sing praises. We'll sing, raise our hands, and we'll praise God. 
And that's good. Nothing wrong with that. But we put praise in this box and this style, okay, where we say this is praise. No, that's not, that's not all praise is. That's an expression of praise. Let me tell you where praise comes from. Praise is not originated or generated from emotions or music or from gathering around other people. Some of the, some of the most intimate praise I've ever offered to God is all by myself in, in my office at home or in this office or, or when I'm praying or reading the Bible. Praise comes from God's Word. And what David's saying, Lord, you teach me and I'm going to praise you. It's a natural progression. It's not, not David's going to go, I'm going to praise you because you taught me. It's a natural outflowing of being taught. The, listen to this. The more we know about God's Word and the more we understand it, the more Holy Spirit teaches us, the more we are inherently, naturally moved to praise God. The Bible tells us about the worthiness of God to be praised. When we understand what the Bible says about God, put it all together now. David said, Lord, teach me. And I told you one of the things David was interested in understanding is about himself and about God. When we understand who we are, we understand who God is, we come to him with a humble and contrite heart and we get saved with a repentant heart and we learn about him, then we are naturally moved to praise him. That's where praise comes from. Praise comes from knowing God. Praise comes from a, a relationship with God. Worldliness and fleshliness and carnality and having a mind of materialism and sin and, and, and lust diminishes praise because our focus is on world and not on God. When we spend more time in God's Word, our focus becomes more spiritually and mentally on God, which moves us to praise Him because we see His worthiness and we're moved to praise Him. There have been many times as I've studied the Bible, uh, I come across a passage and God, the Holy Spirit, just really convicts me and convinces me of the, of the marvelous nature of God and it causes me to worship. I mean, it causes me to just bow my head and, and thank God for who He is. That's praise. That's worship, okay? Now, that attitude of what we know in the Bible should be brought into the worship service. What I'm saying is you just can't show up here on Sunday morning just fighting and fussing in the car, out on the town last night, all in sin, come in here on Sunday morning and suddenly flip a switch and go, boy, I'm going to praise God because that's unacceptable to God that doesn't work. Let me ask you today, listen, do you want to be taught by God? Do you want to know who God is? Do you want to understand who He is and who you are? Look in the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. Will you hear God today? Will you trust Him? Will, will you pray and ask Him to save your soul today? Will you come to God humbly, just as you are, without one plea? Will you ask Him to save you today? Let's pray. Father, I don't know who's watching this video, but right now I pray if they're lost that they would just humbly come before you and ask for your forgiveness. And that God, you would save them as you said you would. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.